Okay. Come, let, let us pray. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yes, we'll wait until the people at the door are. That's what, is that what the chi did to you? Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll call the minute ahead of you guys. I don't know why. Yeah, what's going Fathers, we open up your word. Lord, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for your word. I'm hungry for revelation from you through your word. I want to see you. I want to know you. Lord, I'm totally fine being completely selfish today. and just saying I'm going to just scoop myself up to your table and eat of you and, you know... I hope my friends get get fed in the process. I just know that I'm I need more of you today. So come, Lord. I pray that you would fill this room. I pray you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would uh, open us. Prepare us, challenge us. For the blinders that are on our eyes because of our upbringing, our culture, our previous understandings of who you were, all the boxes we've tried to put you in, I ask that you would crush them. That we would come face to face with how massive you are. We'd just be left standing in awe of your glory and having been shifted by the power of your word. That incorruptible seed that Peter talked about. I love God's word. I really do. I love the way that it, it's, it always, God, God is never, ever happy inside of our little human boxes that we put him in. He loves to let us be, kind of begin to form an opinion of him that's, that has a grain of truth, but that's not always there. He loves to let us get a little bit down the road with that and then like step in completely outside of the boundaries that we've set for him and go, hey, guess what? I'm actually over here too. And you're, and we're just, you know, left going, da! Once again, you have blown all of my understandings of you. There's just nothing. Oh man, the, the way that uh, 
I'm totally going to destroy this this metaphor because I, I, I didn't. I, yeah. But it's just when you think you've got God nailed into the box and then he hands you the last nail. You know, because he's not in the box. He's outside the box watching you build your pretty little box. And then and then he's like, hey, that's a nice box. You're like, but you're in here. Oh, geez. I love that. I love that. And it, it there there was a time in my life when it was incredibly frustrating. And it's like, stop doing that. You know, and uh, anybody ever seen Mr. Deeds? Yeah. I just, I just, you know, God like right up behind you is like very, very sneaky. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's just the picture that comes to mind. You're like, ah, you know, my son did that to me this morning. Sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. Did you spill your coffee? No, you're good. My son did that to me this morning. I, I was, uh, usually my kind of my morning routine is I take my two older boys to school cause they have to be at school like seven twenty, And then I come home and, and, um, I take a shower and, and get dressed, and then I go in and wake up my third son because he doesn't have to be at school till uh, like eight fifteen or whatever it is, and and so I have time in there to kind of get ready and stuff. And and I opened the shower, the, the the bathroom door today, and he was standing there staring at me. I was like, Ugh! Just like well, I guess I don't need to wake you up, huh? Go downstairs and get breakfast. Wow. You know, uh, it, <laughs> I just feel like God does that sometimes. He can be a little creepy. He can be, he has this little dance thing that he does. I've got to get, I've got to get, that he, he like will sneak up behind me and start doing it because when I turn around, he'll be standing there. And it's like, he like puts his hands up to his, to his face and he makes this like creepy little face. And then he starts like going like this. <laughs> And and I'll just turn around and be like, ah, because it just, especially in the like the semi dark, it just scares the crap out of me. <laughs> and I'm surprised he wasn't doing that this morning. And I open the door like, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> Ian. Yeah, he's he can just be a little creepy. You know, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> What's that? Well, you know, you I would think it was. Lily, her favorite TV show is Goosebumps. Yeah, she loves anything that's creepy. Like she just likes creepy stuff, you know. And I'm, which is a little weird for a four-year-old, right? But, but, uh, but, you know, makes noise when it moves. You know. Well, Ian will be like, Ian will be like, oh, that's creepy. I don't want to watch that, and he'll go to bed, you know, or he'll like leave the room. But Lily's like, ooh, creepy. She loves it. No, because my sister had a walker. And the walker like makes noise as it moves. Yes. But she somehow always ends up behind me without any noise whatsoever <laughs> at like one year old. And I was like, You're not a, a safe child. A, a little, a, a little future, you know, a little advice for future parents: when children are quiet, that's when they're dangerous. <laughs> it's when they stop making noise that you need to go. Oh crap! And go find them wherever they are because that's when that's when bad things happen. So you put like a collar on them. It's when children are. Shot How many of you have seen like the Austin Powers films? Anyone? Yeah. You know, he says that about Vinnie Me. He's like, someone put a freaking bell on him or something. Because <laughs> 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 they uncover, they they take the cover <laughs> off, and you know he's getting too friendly with the laser. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I just introduced some friends of mine to those films because I was I was quote I was quoting them and 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 whatever. 
And they're like, we have never seen them. So I bought them all three films because they were like five bucks, like in the $5 bin at Walmart or something. So I bought them the films and we watched the first two films together. And at the end, they were like, I just feel like I need to take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) These were just... Amen. So, because they're, they're extreme, they're crude. It's very <laughs> crass, crude humor, but I don't really care. So, Jared, <laughs> you know. Okay, what, what verse were we? On? <laughs> Are you okay over there? <laughs> All right, we're gonna. I think we're going. Were, were we in verse seven? I had I. Is that where we were, verse 7? I think we might be in verse 7. Okay. Because we, well, because, yeah, I don't remember how far we got, so we're just going to kind of start there again. So, we're, again, yeah, we're seven. remember, in, in, in this section of the book of Ephesians, which apparently we're never going to get out of, um, maybe we will today. We'll just kind of speed up things a little bit and see what happens, but maybe. I mean, who knows, really, but... So in this, it's over and over again, Paul is enumerating the, the things that we've been given in Christ. He's talking about all of the, all the spiritual blessings we've been given in Christ Jesus. So over and over again, you're going to see the naming of a specific kind of blessing. And then you're going to see, and then he's going to say, in Christ, and he's going to say another one. And in Christ, or in the beloved, or in, you know. And he's just constantly referring back to this place where we, we're seated in Christ. We're hidden with Christ in God. This is, this is where you exist right now. There's this, there's this weird reality of the Christian life that we exist. You are right this moment seated in Christ at the right hand of God in heavenly places. Right now. And, and we don't live in that reality. Um, I, uh, when I was in Mexico, the first time I went down to Mexico, we had this prayer time uh, before the before like the first day uh and and uh we're walking out and and the lord showed me this picture that he reached down and started st- pulling me up like stretching me my feet stayed on the ground but but he was taking me and stretching me up uh into the heavenlies and i was like what what is this and he said he said to me this whole trip i i want you to to Attempt to stay aware of your position in the heavenly realms this whole time, because I I want to show you what's going on wherever where you go. I want to show you what's going on in the angelic realm, and I want you to release authority from my throne room into the angelic and into the earthly realm. Which that okay that probably sounds really kind of spooky and mystical to to everybody in the room, but but that's where we live. You exist right now. You exist in three heavens right now. Some of you uh, may have heard uh, Janet Scales talk about this. I know you guys probably have. You exist in three heavens right this second because you are a physical human being. So you exist in the physical plane, okay, which is what we normally interact with, okay? That's, That's the physical world. It's that fleshy part of us. But then we exist. We are, according to Scripture, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay, and in between the the throne room of God and the and this realm that we exist in now is what we call the angelic realm. Okay, and we exist. 
God, that when we pray and in some and, and and when we prophesy and when we we are making we are having effect on the spiritual realm, on the angelic realm. You know, there is a reason, one of the things I didn't really talk about this much in, in my sermon on the on on Joshua and the and the Battle of Jericho. But one of the reasons why praise is a weapon is because we exist in the spiritual realm as much as we do in the physical. And when we begin to align with heaven through praise, we release kingdom authority in the heavenly realm. I had a, uh, I was in the, this is kind of interesting because of what's happened this last week. But I was in the prayer room several years ago. Uh, and, and I was there with um, just a group of people that we had dedicated to be in the prayer room. We were there an hour and a half from 6.30 till 8 in the morning uh, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. We did that for three years. And we were doing worship and intercession for that hour and a half. Um, uh, those three days a week, it was one of them, just an awesome time um, where we would come together and just worship the Lord and and pray and ask for, you know, to for him to tell us what to pray for. And we would begin to pray his will. And, and it was fun praying from the word. And I, and, and two, I had two different experiences where I got like a, a picture for uh, what was going on. The first one was um, we're sitting there. We were singing this big praise anthem. We were singing. I think we were singing, you are good. You are good. And your love endures. You guys know that song. You are good. And God had really been speaking to me about being a voice that proclaims the reality of God's goodness in the earth. That he that that the rage of the enemy and the and the the all of the world around us is constantly proclaiming that God is not good. That that the the world around us is constantly saying God isn't good. God is mean. God is dark. God is evil. God, you know that that God isn't, or that He doesn't exist at all. There's this constant accusation going out against God, and and the Lord was saying to me, I want to release a people in the earth who. Who are, who are speaking the truth against that rage of the enemy, against that accusation and saying, God is good. And then I'm really fascinated that over these last few years, some of these revival movements in the world have taken up this banner of the goodness of God um, on such a level. If you listen to anything Bethel does, they're constantly talking about the goodness of God. And I think this is part of that. I think that God is raising up a church that honestly, truthfully believes that he is good. He's better than we ever imagined that he was. And to begin to say that to each other and say that to people, we are, and, and as we were singing that, I saw, I saw this demon sitting on a throne. And as we were singing that, he was slipping like down the throne. And he kept, he would like try and pick himself and put himself back on the throne. But he kept slipping like, ah, like, like, and the, and the throne I could see was eroding underneath him. And eventually he just slipped all the way off of it and, and in this picture. And I was like, Lord, what is that? And he said to me, it's praise that dethrones the enemy. It's praise that dethrones him. And when we praise God and we align our voices and we, we say what God says about himself is true. God is good. When we stand in that place, authority is being removed right from out from under the enemy's hands in the, in the heavenly realms. You understand that Satan is the God, small g, of this age, of this world. He has enormous authority in the heavenly realms. 
right now. He, he does. And he has it because it's been given to him by human beings. You understand? Agreement <laughs> with the enemy gives him authority. When you agree with him and you, you are disagreeing with God, because the enemy doesn't say anything that God says. When you are agreeing with the enemy, you are giving him authority. That's what you're doing. So when we begin to agree with God instead of the enemy, we are removed. We're just taking authority back from him. Authority that God had gifted to Adam and to the human race way back. So this picture that we are sitting in the heavenlies, we've got to understand that. And so that whole trip in Mexico, I was walking around and God would say, God would begin to speak to me about what was going on in the, in the angelic realm over regions. And, and I was, I was really kind of, I might even been a little spacey on that trip. I don't know. Uh, because I was, I was constantly hearing the, the heaven's proclamation over a place or a thing, but then the, what the, the static of the, of the, of the heavenly realms, you know, the, the, God's proclamation of what God's dream and God's desire over region was. And then that middle ground, which is that angelic realm where the war is taking place in the heavenlies, where, where angelic forces are, 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 are coming up against demonic forces and there's stuff going on. And, and, and God's going, God is up here speaking, real, speaking his heart. And I'm down here trying to echo the heart of God. And when they meet in the middle, then the angelic forces win against the demonic forces. I mean, have you, have you guys ever read in, like the This Present Darkness books by Frank Peretti? I would. They're fictional books, but they're really they're fun to read. First of all, This Present Darkness, or and there's another one called Piercing the Darkness. They're they're fictional books, and, and but he store he 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 shows you what's happening in the earthly realm, and then. At the same time, the angels that are involved in what's going on are characters in the story. So you see what's happening in the physical, but then you see how it's how that's being responded to and how it was created by the spiritual aspects of what's going on in that moment. Now, I don't think it's a perfect biblical picture of how the spirit realm interacts with the physical. But what I love about it is it makes you aware of the fact that there are angels everywhere you go. And there are most likely demons most of the places you go to. There are angels in this room. Biblically speaking, there are two angels for every human in this room. Are you aware of that? So many angels there are in this room right now. The spiritual realm is extremely real. And it, it affects everything we do on the, in the physical we have to understand that. And there's there are things at work in the spiritual realm that we don't even have connection with. And sometimes God will let us know, hey, this is going on, so that you can exercise authority from the earthly realm into the spiritual via your seat in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So are you with me? I mean, y'all, y'all hear me in this, okay? And it might sound spooky and weird, um, but it, yeah. I do not believe in, first of all, there's only, there are twice as many angels as demons. Um, that's a guess because, but from everything we know about Satan, it looks like he took one third of the angels with him when he rebelled, which means there's two thirds left. So 
that means that there's twice as many angels as demons. Um, and demons are o only go where they're given authority to be. So, yeah, there are people that carry demons around with them. I think there are Christians that carry demons around with them. But they don't have to. As soon as we come against that, as soon as we remove the authority that's been given to that demonic presence to be there, that demon has to go. Now, if that door isn't closed to them completely, they can come back. And Jesus said they'll come back seven times stronger. So we need to be careful about that. That's why when I'm dealing, I see you, I don't know, I'll, I'll get you in a second. But I, I just didn't want you to be standing with your hand you know, <laughs> the whole time. Um, uh, that's why we need to be super careful when it comes to deliverance and, and, and that kind of thing, that, that they're in for the process of not just removing that demonic uh, presence from their life, but absolutely closing the door to its, to its influence in their lives. Because we could honestly make things worse by just forcefully saying, get out. If they don't fix what's broken, that demon has authority to come back seven times stronger. And, and that's we need, we've got to be careful with that. So that's one of the things that if, if somebody comes to me and says, I really, I feel like there's a demonic influence in my life in such and such area. Um, I, we will walk through a whole process of, yes, removing that, but understanding, but also closing that door and then filling and filling in that space with, with, you know, the truth that replaces the lie that that demon is inhabiting. How can I explain this? Jesus, Jesus talks about the word of God being like a seed. Right? You guys know this is the parable of the sower. Okay? But the truth is that all words are seeds, not just God's word. God's word is a much more powerful seed, but the truth is all words are seeds. So every idea that comes, you know, in, we have a decision to make. Are we going to let it find purchase in our hearts and grow and bear fruit in us? Or are we going to get that thing out of there? Now, the problem is with the word of God, Satan is constantly coming along trying to you know, it goes out and Satan's trying to grab it before it finds any purchase in you. He doesn't want you to believe it. So he'll do everything he can to make sure that, oh, oh, don't hear that. That might actually set them free. That might actually bear some fruit of righteousness in their lives. Let's get that thing out of there. But Jesus said, if we have prepared hearts and if our hearts are good soil for his word, that, that seed will go in and it will produce much, 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 much fruit over the years. But the problem is that all of us have lies that are growing in our life, too. We have truths that are growing, but we have lies that are growing. And our sins, the, like our behaviors, are actually just, that, those are the symptoms of the sickness that's, that exists on the inside of us. Do you, do you understand that? That's fruit of the, of the lie that's growing. When we commit a sin... It is, it, that is fruit coming out of us of something we believe. Now, we can just cut the fruit off, which is great. But more fruit's going to come back if we don't follow that vine down to where it's planted and uproot it. 
Does this make sense to everybody? And demonic influence is the same way. Demons live where they're, where they're given room to live. Now, there's a couple different things that the Bible says that give room to demonic forces to live in our lives. One of them is, is anger and unforgiveness that's been held onto for a long time. Demons love that. That's like their favorite stuff. They're like flies on a dung heap. They do. They love it. They'll live there because it's the opposite of grace. So they will come. They will swarm around that spot. And, it, and when you hold on to unforgiveness, you're giving permission to the enemy to mess with you in that area of your life. The other day I was up in the prayer room and the Lord began to say to me, uh, the, the Lord said to me, I want you to forgive this person. He put this person in my mind. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't sense that I have any anger or any ought towards that person. I don't feel like I do. And the Lord said, well, you do. And I, you need to choose to forgive them right now and, and let me cleanse you there because the enemy's got, because this issue that you're talking to me about that you've been dealing with is that's the root. And I want you to get rid of it. Okay. So Anger and unforgiveness, the Bible calls it a root of bitterness, is one way that we invite the, the authority of the enemy. Another way is where we honestly open up a door to the enemy's influence in our life by, like, asking. Now, hopefully no Christian is out there asking for the enemy to come and to do anything for them. But non-Christians do it all the time, and they have no idea what they're even doing. When they, when they do, like, seances, when they ask for the influence of a, of, you know, a, let my spirit guide. That's why I have a little bit of an issue with Christians saying, oh, you, that's my spirit animal. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm not going to get all weird and dogmatic about it. Like, you're going to hell. No, but I just, I just that's, that is a demonic inspired idea. So I would be super careful. I know if you're just saying it ironically and just being silly, that you're not inviting the enemy into your life by doing that. I'm just saying, let's, let's be aware of where stuff comes from. And, and yeah. So what did you have to say? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, if I had known that I was going to be able to talk about this, I would have had the the verses for you. But Jesus talks about everybody. Jesus talks about the guardian angels of children see the face of God every day. Um, and there's other places in Scripture that just refer to the fact that we have angelic forces on our left and on our right. So I'm, it's, I'm kind of extrapolating, but that would say to me that we have angels around us all the time, and apparently more than one. Does that, does that help? So there, and I, I, I kind of think maybe we have the same angel like that or two that are like assigned to us for most of our lives. You know what I mean? Like you have an angel that is, you know, that kind of hangs out with you and protects you and knows you. I don't know if that's true. I don't have biblical uh, proof for that. But imagine what it would be like to have an angelic being that has been walking with you your whole life. You know, maybe they even pray for you. Um, I, again, that doesn't mean you should ask them to pray for you. You have, you are seated <laughs> with Christ you are seated with Christ at the right hand of God, and they aren't. You actually have a better in with God than they do. The Bible says the angels long to look into these things when talking about salvation. 
we have a position with the with God that no angel will ever have because we're the redeemed. No angel has ever been invited to sit at the right hand of God, but you have. Think about that. Yeah. And what are Gabriel and Michael like with God? They are archangels. That's what we call them. The Bible doesn't call them that, but we call them archangels. And because they seem to be angels of specific authority in heaven. Michael is referred to as Israel's angel. He refers to himself as that. Um, uh, and Gabriel says of himself, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. So, and he seems to be a messenger. He spoke to Daniel. He spoke to, uh, um, you know, others, you know, Mary and, uh, and John the Baptist dad and, uh, you know, others. And he seems to be one that carries messages from the father. So there are a lot of people that believe that each member of the Trinity was like assigned an angel. And they, they think that um, Michael is the father's and Gabriel belongs to the Holy Spirit and that Lucifer actually belonged to Christ. Um, that's all conjecture. I think it's an interesting idea, but um, we don't know. Yeah. Michael is, is one of the angels. Daniel calls him the prince of Israel. So we think that he's the archangel assigned to God's purpose in, in Israel's, you know, and, there, and he's also very connected to the end times. But that may be because of how pivotal Israel is in the end times. We don't know. Yeah. Why would Lucifer be Jesus' I don't know. That's just something I've read. Why wouldn't he be? Why would Michael or Gabriel be in heaven still? And then Lucifer is a fallen angel. At least right. we think he is. But why would wouldn't he have been replaced if he had failed in his duty? Or you know, like it doesn't make sense. Well, it may be that the Prince of Darkness would be the angel of the Prince of Light. Uh, Satan has definitely set himself up against the Messiah in this world um they are direct enemies of one another right satan has no ability to defeat jesus in any way shape or form but but satan has set himself against mankind and jesus became a man so i mean that that's i think where it comes from but yeah I think most definitely. I think all the angels have free will. I think it's different than ours. Um, but, I mean, if they can fall, then they apparently had the ability to sin. I think it's on a different order than ours, however. Um, when God says, let us create man in our own image, it really seems like this is the first time he's had that idea. So I do not believe angels carry the imago dei, the, the image of God. I don't think that they have, like, like I said, yeah. you know, we've been invited to sit at the right hand of God and no angel has ever been invited to do that. So, that's an interesting thought. 
Yeah. I was gonna say, what, wasn't Lucifer's job in heaven to like reflect God's glory or His light? Or we don't know for sure. There's there there. It's conjecture taken from scriptures that we think refer to Lucifer, <laughs> but we don't even know for sure that that it is talking about him. It doesn't sound like it's talking about a human being, though. It sounds like he's talking about an angelic being, and and it's yes. There's a couple of them, and I can't think where they are right now. But it doesn't sound. Like, he starts out talking about like the king of Tyre or the, and then the other one was. I don't remember. He's talking about an, an earthly king. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of that sentence, the prophet begins saying things like, you sat above the throne of the Most High, and you're like, what? <laughs> this earthly king did? No. God has gone from speaking to the earthly king to speaking to the spirit behind that king. And and it's a pretty pretty fascinating... Check it out sometime. You know, it's, it's fascinating. But let's, let's get back to this. So... In him, so we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's how we got off on this tangent. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind tangents at all. But So verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means the ransom has been paid. Okay, when somebody gets stolen, you know, somebody gets kidnapped, and then, you know, a, a note comes and it's like all different letters cut out from, you know, the from from magazines, right? And it's like a million dollars and you can have them back, right? Okay, that's ransom. Well, the the word redemption here, the Greek word, it has to do with ransom. And it's saying the ransom for our return to God has been paid. We gotta get up this picture. Your brokenness is not your first state. You were created to be holy. Do you understand that? The human race was created to reflect the glory of God in a way that no, no other creation of God's has ever done. So much so that we are called the, the bearers of God's image. And that's who we are. The first thing that God said about the human race is, you're like me. And that doesn't mean that we're God's. And there are people out there that will tell you that's what it means, but that is not what it means. It just means we carry something special, something specific that no other creation carries that is precious to God. So precious that one third of the angels fall and God does not react to save them, but the human race falls and Jesus becomes a man. You see... There is something going on with this reality that we call the, the image of God that we carry. And we are being, we have been ransomed, means we've been bought back. We belong to God in the first place. What God has done in Christ is restore us to who we are. You hear that? Because most of us walk around most of the time thinking, I'm a messed up horrible, disgusting creature. When the truth is that, no, you were created in the image of God. That's who you are, and you've been stolen from yourself, and Christ is giving you back to who you are. So in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. There was a price that had to be paid. And it was a price that we could never pay ourselves. It was only the endlessly worthy blood of Jesus Christ himself that could buy us back. 
redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses. This word trespass means that we've gone off the trail. What, what are you doing when you're trespassing? You're somewhere you ain't supposed to be, right? That's You have left the place where you belong and you've gone somewhere you shouldn't. Okay, so when it says that we've been forgiven our trespasses, it means that every place that we've stepped off the narrow path, Jesus has taken our foot and put it right back on. Okay, we went off into the woods, we got off the trail, now we're lost. Jesus has come, stepped in front of us, and blazed us a trail back to the path we were not supposed to leave. That's what forgiveness of your trespasses means. He's putting us back on the track that he had for us all along. That's really good news, guys. Because how many times do we make mistakes? How many times do we make stupid decisions? So often. All the time. But here's Jesus all the time. All right, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Come on back. I think of that game that we play at camp where you have to spin around on the bat, and then you've got the person yelling at you, no, 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 this way, this way, this way, no, no, no. That's got to be how Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's just, you know, inside of us going, no, 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 left, 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 left. I said left. No, your other left, right? Okay. And you're just kind of wandering around dizzy, like, I don't know what's happening. Well, that is one of my favorite games to be at at camp because of the people that take two steps and then just face plant, you know? And they're like on the ground going, I'm trying to get up. And their whole team is going, get up, get up, get up. You know, I have video of Megan Netherton just like plowed into the ground, like, oh, I'm trying. But every, every time she would like get up, she'd just be like, Wah. you know, I love her. Anyway. <laughs> and now it's on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay so redemption through his blood he's paid our ransom he's forgiven our trespasses he's led us back to the track we're supposed to be on according to the riches of his grace we, can we just live always in this place of being astounded at the riches of god's grace what does grace mean everybody it's a free gift it cannot be earned or bought now my dad likes to talk about grace and say that there's there's two parts of it. There's the forgiveness, and then there's the empowerment to do what's right. But the and and he's right about that. Truth is, there's a whole lot of different realities that come to us by grace. Everything that you have received in Christianity, everything from your your forgiveness of sins to your ability to to live more like Jesus to um, uh, the healing mercy, you know, healing of your body to everything we've received through the gospel has come by grace, including the ability to live in righteousness. The Bible says into this grace by which we now stand. The only reason you're standing at all is because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which comes for free. You did not earn it. That's why it's called through grace. Okay. And that's what Pastor Ron's talking about there. The riches of his grace. Christians, we've got to get a hold of this fact that we deserve nothing. We deserve hellfire. That's all that we deserve. So anything else that we get from God is an astoundingly generous gift. Every breath that every human breathes is an astoundingly gracious gift given by God, not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, not because it's their right, 
because it's not. You know, we say we've been endowed by our creator with the right to live. Given as a gift from a God who owes us nothing, he has given us life. It is okay for us to point at other human beings and say, you can't take my life away. You don't have that right. But we can't make that claim on God. He can take away anything from us that he has given us in the first place because we never deserved it. We, we, we will never earn it. And whatever he does, he's righteous in doing it because it was a gift in the first place that we don't deserve. So why on earth do we think we're allowed to complain? about anything. Are you breathing? You should be singing songs of gratefulness and praise because you have breath in your lungs. Because that is a gift you do not deserve. And that is the unmerited favor of God. You hear that? We need to live in that place. I'm telling you right now, we will be a million times happier when we understand that and when we live there. Have you ever seen the video of the guy that was walking to the North Pole? <laughs> Have you seen that? The guy that <laughs> finds the cheese doodles in the ice and just freaks out. Have you seen that video? I love that video. If you haven't seen it, I'll, pr I'll find it at the end of class and we can watch it together. But this guy, I promise, I will though, I promise. Remind me, Brandon, to find the cheese doodles video. Cheese noodles? No, cheese doodles. doodles. Oh, cheese. This guy, this, this guy, he's he's like from like, you know, Australia or Australia. Austria or Germany, someplace like that, maybe Scandinavia. He's he's and and he's what he he decided to walk to the North Pole and back. And on the way out to the North Pole, every so far, he would bury supplies in the ice so that he could eat them on the way back out. It was kind of a brilliant plan, really. Because you have more energy going in than you do coming out. So he carried more stuff on his way in, and then he would just bury stuff. And he, you know, he wasn't sure what he had left in each kind of cash that he had put there. And he, he recorded a lot of this via video. And this one, in this one video, he's, he's coming back from the North Pole, and, he has, and he's digging up one of these caches, and then he finds this bag of like cheese puffs, like cheese cheese doodles, and he just goes, yeah! and like throws the cheese puffs up in the air and starts freaking out like, ah! there's no one for hundreds of miles. He's just screaming at the top of his lungs, freaking out about cheese doodles. Why? Because he hasn't had anything good to eat for like weeks, okay? And he finds these. Did you look? Did I hurt someone? <laughs> me. What did I do? I'm scared the crops. <laughs> At least you didn't. I'm scared you a lot today. Are you? Are you like worried about me or something? The reason I mention it. Check this out. The reason I mention it is nobody in their right mind gets that excited. Gets that excited about cheese doodles. Right? <laughs> I do. Right? Get, have you been to, you've walked into the grocery store and found cheese doodles and started freaking out? I haven't found them yet. Okay. Cheese doodles are I'm just saying, the reason, it was, hear this, it was his perspective that changed how he felt about the cheese doodles. 
He hadn't had them for so long. He hadn't had anything junk food-wise for so long that he was so grateful for this tiny, simple, ridiculous little thing that he never would have given a second thought to at any other moment in his life. But now it is an incredibly huge grace of, gift of grace to him, and he is rejoicing. What if we understood every breath that way? What if we had that perspective on every single moment of our lives? That this moment that, we're, that I'm in right now is, is an incredibly generous gift from God to me. No matter how painful this moment is, no matter how difficult it is, I am alive. And I am experiencing this. And that is a gift. Even pain is a gift because you're alive to feel it. And the reality is that God's working all things together for good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. So even this difficult moment God is using to shape me into the image of Christ. What an incredible thing. So next time you stub your toe or slam your thumb with a hammer, you should be like, yeah! You know what I mean? Like, she's doing you know, it, you'll hear him. He's got, the, he's got this, this great German, you know, and that's what he says. But cheese doodles. Thank him for the gift of that, of every single moment. And that is really difficult to do sometimes, but sometimes it is the only way out of the downward spiral of depression and fear. Even this is a gift. The same loving God that gave me the things that I cherish so much has given me this, and I will receive it with joy. the riches of his grace. Verse eight, which he lavished on us. I love this word lavished. It's a great word. It means overflowing far more abundantly than we can actually hold on to. Imagine me piling Christmas gifts in your arms until you can no longer hold anymore and they're just falling on the floor, but I'm still giving them to you. That's what this word means, lavish. And that's what God's doing. He is giving and giving and giving, and he never stops giving. Everything else in the human existence is taking from you, but God is constantly giving. He never stops giving because he's love, and that's what love does. He's lavished on us. Think of a bite that you took that was way too big. That's the picture. My wife made chocolate chip cookies. My wife makes the best chocolate chip cookies in history. It's just truth. Oh, yes. And I, I brought some to my, to my administrative assistant this week. And she's like, were these Toll House recipes? I said, no, they're my wife's special recipe. And she was kind of like, mm. But then the next day she goes, I ate all five of them before I left the office. Those are the best cookies I've ever had. <laughs> telling you. They're awesome. <laughs> and when that. when she made them, I ate way too many of them. Like, because they were hot and gooey. And, oh my gosh. And by the end of the thing, I was just like in a diabetic coma, but going, worth it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Lavish. Imagine, <laughs> imagine drinking. Don't, don't feel like that was pointed at you, please. <laughs> I, has, I had nothing to, I love you, though. I really do. <laughs> <laughs>
Imagine, <laughs> not me. I didn't even think about it. I'm sorry. Imagine drinking. No, I'm not. Imagine drinking from. But if I keep eating that many cookies, I might end up that way. <laughs> It's true. She said, "Make sure I'm, you know which one." I'm not, say, I'm not saying that that's it's you know, true. Yeah, it, that is true. It's a, if you, it's a medical reality. Okay, so drinking from yeah, there's two different kinds of diabetes, right? Yeah, Isn't that yeah. right? Yeah. Type four. Type four. So imagine drinking from a fire hose. Have you guys ever seen the movie UHF? Oh my gosh, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. It is so stupid. Yeah, you can watch it. It's not really. But there's this. What? There's this. It's PG. It's it's the most ridiculously. It's it's Weird Al Yankovic made a film. Oh, yes, oh, it is, and he's the main character in it. Oh, and it's it is so stupid. But there's this scene. There's a scene where they're they're on this TV show called Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse, and there and there's all these people like digging through this gigantic wading pool full of oatmeal. And this little kid finds a mark. He finds the marble in the oatmeal, and he's like, "You found the marble in the oatmeal. You get to drink from the fire hose." And they take him over, and they put it. And this little kid's like, "Yeah, woo!" And they put him on this like, this like it's it's a like a horse you'd ride on, you know. They sit him on it, and they wheel the fire hose up like this far from his face, and they're just like, Psh, and he just goes flying. Right? Oh my gosh, it's the stupidest movie ever, but it's so funny. Oh, just kills me. <laughs> it's so, it's, you know, Stanley Spadowski is played by the guy that played Kramer in Seinfeld. But this is, this is before he was Kramer. And so it's, it's, you need to see it. If you haven't seen UHF, it's definitely a great waste of time. I love Seinfeld. I adore Seinfeld. Okay. Drinking from a firehouse. It is, it is, it is way I think Monty Python is is Monty Python's extremely dry, and so only certain people find it hysterical. UHF is funny. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, it's funny no matter what. They do these, they do these, like commercials that are on the channel, and they're always like uh, one. It's there's one for the movie Gandhi Two. But you guys know anything about Gandhi? <laughs> Gandhi, Gandhi was Gandhi was this like he actually uh, Martin Luther King took his ideas about passive resistance from Gandhi. Okay, like don't fight, just you know. Okay, and like so, and Gandhi Gandhi would go on hunger strikes for months at a time to get like the Indian government to change things and. Whatever. When this in this commercial for Gandhi too, it's like he's back and he's ticked off. And it's like Gandhi walks into McDonald's. He's like, I want to, I want to. Which Gandhi never ate beef ever. And he's like, I want three Big Macs and whatever. And 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 they're like, I'm sorry, we don't have that. And so he pulls out a machine gun and starts killing everyone. And it's, <laughs> it's so stupid. Exactly. He's always got like women on his arm, and this guy was like celibate his whole life. So and. Anyway, it's it's really it's so stupid. But anyway, okay, it's funny. You guys, you and Jeff is hilarious. It's so good. All right, verse which he lavished on us. I'm a big movie guy. I adore films. Okay, so he lavished on us. That's how generous God is. He get he just he gives all constantly. We got to get that. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. This is huge. 
In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Why would God tell us what he's up to? Ever. Have you thought about this at all? What? I, I'm always, I always live in an in, in astounded, like, amazement that, that God ever does anything for us, with us, or about us. You know, like, why does God use humans is one of the biggest questions I will, that, that I am constantly, and I'm getting some insight on it, but I still every once in a while go, this is the dumbest plan to use busted up, messed up, horrible human beings that are just going to jack it up over and over again. You want to use us to change the world. What were you thinking? Just a <laughs> What are you thinking? And as you begin to, to study God's word, there, there's really two reasons why he chooses human beings to do his will. Okay, Number one is so that there is no doubt whatsoever that he's the one accomplishing it. <laughs> Okay, that's that is a that is a really big thing, and he sets things up all the time, like walking around the walls of Jericho. Okay, that was God going. You know, it wasn't their brilliant plan that won the battle, right? Okay, they yelled at the wall. <laughs> that had to be me. That wasn't just brilliant, you know, Joshua the brilliant tactician. That had to be God. Okay, God does it that way all the time. That's why God saves us through the foolishness of the cross. If you. Satan took over the human race. God's answer was, I know, I'll become a human and let him kill me. (laughs) Listen, listen to the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Is that the world's philosophy? Is that how the world thinks? The world says might makes right. If I'm strong and I can make you do what I want you to do, then I'm in charge. And you need to be the, you know, the alpha male. You need to be the one that's out there, you know, saying how's, how it's going to be and show them who's boss. That's what the world is constantly telling you. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Do you know what that means? If someone hurts you, stay vulnerable to them. The world would say, are you kidding me? Someone hurts you, you build up the defenses. In fact, not only that, you build up the defenses and then you go after them with a sledgehammer because nobody does that to me. Isn't that how the world reacts? Yeah, but that's not the gospel. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, someone hits you, you sit, you stay vulnerable to them. Someone asks you to do something that they should, that they have no right to ask you to do. You tell them, not only will I do that, but I'll do more. Do you see how Jesus' philosophy absolutely wars against the philosophy of this world? And let me say something to you. When the church begins to sound like the world, we have, we, we are off the deep end. We have lost sight of who Jesus is. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Okay? Uh, it says, in wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, this means a couple things. Number one, that he was wise to show us his will. I don't, that's an astounding thought for me also. Him showing his will to Daniel 
was wise. Now, I love this guy. But can he really give God anything God doesn't have? Are we anything but a dead weight on God's team? That's what we are. And yet it was wisdom. He was wise to show it to us, but it also means that he showed it to us in the wisest way. You ever wonder why God leads you down paths that, that like when you started, you thought you were going to be going, you know, some like, I, this is going to lead to that. And then you get halfway down the path and God's like, nope, and turns you a completely different direction. And you're like, what happened? I thought I was going to go there. And sometimes we feel really betrayed by God about that. Like, I thought I was going to become the greatest worship leader of all time, you know, right? And and God's like, actually, no, I just, I, I, I just want you to like, do you know? I just want you to play keys for the rest of your life, and that's it. You know, like, and and you're like, but that's not what I wanted to do. That's not what I thought. You betrayed me. We we do that, right? Because we get these big ideas, and we're like, this is you know, this is God's plan for me. And God's going, no, honey, it's not. I I actually have this for you. And the truth is, at the end, we look at God's plan and go, that was a great plan. But in the midst of it, we're like, this is stupid. You know. God is so wise. He doesn't make known all of his will to us. It's not like we receive an itinerary of our life in the mail. Right? You don't get a letter. You know, as you, when you're a senior in high school, you get a letter from God. And you open up the letter and it's like, after this, you're going to go to college for four years at this university. And then you're going to meet this person and you're going to marry them and have 2.5 kids. And, you know, what? <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> Split down the middle. Oh gosh. <laughs> anyway, that 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 was the national average at some point. Was two point five kids, and I just always thought that was funny. That it's now like one point five kids actually, not two point five. But but. Uh, <laughs> anyway, God doesn't do that. God doesn't give you. He doesn't tell you everything he wants you to do for the rest of your life. He doesn't give you, he doesn't reveal his, all of his will to you at, the, at one time, does he? He doesn't. I'm sitting in a place right now where I honestly don't know what God has for me five years from now. I have no idea. And every time I pray about it, the Lord says, I have put things in your heart that you care about desperately and I just want you to chase those things down and you'll find out where that's going to take you. You love my word. Chase that down. You love discipleship. Chase that down. You love worship and prayer and the prophetic. Chase those things down. And in chasing those things down, I will find out what God's will is for the actual things that happen in my life eventually. And that is the wisest way for him to do it. Let me say this to you. That's also on the podcast. Let me say this to you. <laughs> no, it's all right. The only times, hear me, the only times that God has given me a gigantic, like, go to Africa kind of direction in my life, the only times that it's ever happened is when I am headed in the wrong direction and God needs to make me go a different way. 
when I am in his will and when I'm walking in the general direction he wants me to walk, he's pretty quiet about what I'm supposed to do next. So if you're like praying, God, show me what your will is, and he's not saying anything to you, that's okay. That's okay. Just keep walking. It'll become really clear. And trust the desires that God has put in your heart because he put those desires there. Let me tell you what parenthood, how parenthood is supposed to work. Okay? When your kids are first born, you have to do absolutely everything for them. Absolutely everything. You have to feed them. You have to dress them. You have to wash them. You have to, you know, wipe their backsides. They, you have to put them to sleep. You have to get them out of bed. You have to do everything for them. And as they get older, you do less and less and less for them. As they get older, you make less and less and less of their decisions. And when they become adults, you don't make any decisions for them at all. And that's how parenthood is supposed to work. My job as a dad is to teach my kids what to love and teach them wisdom and teach them my value system so that at the end of the day, they're making the same decisions that I would make in their place without ever having to talk to me about it. You hear that? God set it up that way because that's how God wants to work in you. God wants you so much like him that you're making the decisions he would have told you to make without him ever having to tell you to make them. That's his desire for you. So when God is quiet, take it as a compliment. He's trusting you to make the right decision. You hear that? And I want you to think about what you love and I want you to run for it because that's what he wants you to do. Isn't he the one that gave you that passion? That's why the Bible can say things like, Ask anything you want in my name and I'll give it to you. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible can say those kind of things because that's, that's the finish line. That's what God wants. He wants you so delighted in him that the desire of your heart is him. And everything else is just circumstances. There's a song from IHOP that I love where it says, he says, uh, put me anywhere, just put your glory in me. I'll, I'll serve anywhere, but let me see your beauty. I don't care what the external circumstance of my life is. I just want the total focus, the total passion of my heart to be set on you. And I say, amen. It's the wisest way. God unveils his will in the wisest way. 
He does it because of wisdom. It's wise of him to do so. Believe it or not, God showing you himself is a wise thing for him to do. I love that. And he demonstrated his wisdom through the plan of salvation, and he shows the universe how wise he is in the way that he reveals his will. We're going to stumble across some pretty massive verses as we move forward in this, in, in this, in this book. And one of them says this unbelievable statement that God is using the church to demonstrate his wisdom to, the, to heaven. There are angels in heaven that are learning new things about God because they're watching Jesus be revealed through his bride. That's why God set up the church the way that he did. That's why we exist the way that we do. So that he can demonstrate his glory through a broken people for the rest of eternity. That's what he wants. And that's who you are. So in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Do we have time to tackle this next sentence? We do. Okay. Again, we're reminded that everything God does is kind. Don't you ever forget that. Everything that God does is kind. Everything that he does is kind. Just like everything he does is good. There's no part of God that isn't just like him. He doesn't have goodness and judgment like fighting each other in his heart. No, they all flow together absolutely beautifully and perfectly. He is good and just and the forgiver of sins. And he's all of that stuff at once. And it's all harmonized and beautiful. And it's all one reality. It's one eternal essence that we will enjoy for the rest for the rest of eternity. We will just be bathing in all of the glory of God's beauty forever because there's nothing inside of him that's conflicted there's nothing inside of him that's confused there's nothing inside of him that is that is disagreeing with some other part of him god the father god the son and god the holy spirit have never disagreed with one another and they never will i think some of us feel like jesus is like sneaking us in the back door of heaven while god the father doesn't look You know, and, and Jesus is like apologizing for the father. Sometimes dad gets cranky. I'm sorry about that. You just got to just, it's just one of his moods, guys. It's going to be okay. Just don't let him see it. It's not how it is at all. Jesus is as excited about saving you as the father is. The father is as excited about saving you as the spirit is. They are, they are, they share the same opinion about everything all the time. They're a united front. How many of you used to work your mom against your dad? Right? Because it works, right? If you get them arguing, then all of a sudden you're not in trouble anymore. <laughs> right? Or you can get what you wanted because you know, okay, if I ask dad for this, then I'm more likely to get it than if I ask mom, right? Okay? <laughs> you know, it's so real. My kids already figured it out, okay? Exactly. Yeah, my kids are already doing that. They will come to me to say, hey, can so-and-so come over, right? You know, and, I, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care. And then Rachel's going, oh, what are we going to do about it? We don't have anything to eat and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and because <clears throat> they, they know I'm an idiot. And, and that's <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah. That's right. 
That's not how God is. You can't work the Father against the Son, etc. They are in full agreement, completely, totally. Everything within God has is one flow, one move. That means everything in God is kind. Everything in God is good. Everything in God enjoys you. Oh, you, oh boy, if the church understood this reality that God enjoys you. God enjoys you. He takes delight in you. He smiles over you. And there's nothing in God that does not smile over you. There's nothing in God that does not enjoy you. Nothing. There's no part of God that regrets offering salvation to you. There's no part in God that rolls his eyes when you ask him for forgiveness. That's how I feel about God most of the time. When I have screwed up again, and I'm going back to God, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't you, you, know, you kind of feel like, my mother, okay, never said the word yes to us, ever. Ever. Everything we ever asked her for was an imposition. Every single thing. She would say this, she would go, I suppose. She never said the word yes. I don't remember once in my childhood. Maybe she, she probably did, but I don't remember it. All I remember thinking every time I asked for my asked for anything from my mother, it was this huge, huge favor I was asking her to do. And so I had to grovel on the floor and beg. You know, and then she'd be like, fine. Right? Okay, God's not that way. He's never been that way. He doesn't feel that way about you at all. He absolutely adores you. Everything inside of him wants to give good things to you all the time. This is who he is. The intention of his will is kind and his purpose is kind. All the time is good. It's just massive. All right. Now we're going to read verse 10. This verse is really big. Okay. But because of the original language, it is one of the most difficult English verses you will ever read. It's weird. Okay. So I'm going to read it to you out of the thing and then I'm going to break it down. Okay. It's verse 10. We're talking about the kind intention of his will. This is the purpose in Christ Jesus. He says this, With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. That sentence will just make you dizzy. What? Excuse me? I don't understand. Help me with that. <laughs> with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time? What in the world does that even mean? So I'm going to break it down, okay? Here's the message. Here's, here's it out of the message. I actually really like it. You know, the message version of the Bible. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest hev heaven, everything on planet Earth. Okay? He set it all out before us. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. That's Jesus. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. This is God's end game. This is God's goal. That everything would be summed up in Christ. That all things would be brought into Jesus. The entire universe brought into Christ. How does this work? All things being brought together in Christ. 
He will be made the ruler of all things. That's one. The king of all things. Okay? And all things will be brought to justice and rightness in the cross and the rulership of Christ Jesus. Okay? He's making everything that's wrong, he's making it right. Everything that's lost, he's making it found. Everything that's broken, he's healing. Every sin is being judged all in Christ. That's why God's long-term plan is to take everything that exists and bring it into Christ. And through Christ's death, all of the sin and brokenness is being destroyed. And through Christ's resurrection, all that was wrong and all that was broken is being healed and renewed and made new again. But it has to flow through Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, from him, through him, to him, be all things. To God be the glory forever. Because what happened, where, where did all creation come from? Where did all of creation come from? Right, God. And if you read John 1, you find out that Jesus was exactly, he was, he was the whole deal. John 1 says that nothing that was made was, was made unless it was made by him. He, he made everything. Jesus himself is the creator of everything that exists. So everything came from God. This is my life verse. It's Romans 11, 30, 11 36. Okay, just go check it out. From him, through him, to him be all things. To God be the glory forever. Um, I, I love that verse because it sums this whole thing up beautifully, gloriously. Okay, and this is what it's. In fact, if you guys, a lot of you know, know Romans twelve one. Can somebody can somebody uh, say Romans twelve one? No, that's Romans eight. Romans twelve. No. Romans twelve one. Somebody read it. Therefore, in view, in view of the mercies of God, let us, go ahead. Yes. Yes, okay. That verse, anytime, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach my little, my little sermon right now about context. Context is everything. Don't you dare read a verse out of context. You better know that before you preach off of a verse, you better know the two verses before it and the two verses after it, exactly why that, that sentence was spoken and what it meant in its original context. And if you don't, don't use it in the sermon. Can I ask why not? Because one sentence all by itself taken out of scripture can be made into almost anything you want. Okay, we had a, I have a friend who, when he was, he was a pastor, he's, Pastor, but he and he used to tell us not to be hasty with the laying on of hands. That's a verse right out of scripture. Don't don't be quick to lay hands. And when he would say that, what he meant, what he was telling us to do was be careful who we put our hands on to pray for. That's that's what he was saying. And he was basing it on that scripture. That is not what that scripture meant. And if he had read the two scriptures before and the two scriptures after it, he would have understood. That that's not what that scripture means. It's talking about 
When it says the laying on of hands, it's talking about commissioning someone for leadership in the church. And it was saying, be careful when people get saved, don't put them into leadership too fast because they'll get big heads and they'll hurt themselves and they'll hurt a lot of other people in the process. That's what it was saying. It was not talking about putting your hand on someone to pray for them. It had nothing to do with that at all. But he was using it to teach that thing. And if he had only paid attention to context, that would have never left his mouth. Do you see? Okay. Context, context, context. Now, Romans 12.1 is a verse all of you have heard before and all of you know. But did any of you know what the verse right before it said up until now? Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. That's a, somewhat a paraphrase of that verse. Okay, verse 12. 12.1. The verse immediately preceding it is, for from him and through him and to him be all things, to God be the glory forever. Amen. He is pointing back to chapter 11 where he was talking about the grace of God, which has been revealed through Israel, through Israel's rejection and Israel's future redemption. And then he says, can anybody give anything to God? No, nobody can because from him and for him. From, okay, so he's going, in view of all those things, therefore, remember, if you see a therefore, you need to ask the question, what's it there for? Okay, and read the question before. Okay, don't forget that when you see a therefore, there is something before it that is explaining why this scripture exists. And if you don't know what that thing is, you shouldn't use it. All right. So what? Everything came from God. And now everything is being processed through Christ. It goes back. It's going back to Jesus and going through Jesus, being perfect, be, all of the sin, all of the, you know, Jesus becomes the sin filter that the universe gets poured through. Okay? You know, imagine like, you know, you've got a dirty, a, you know, a thing of water that's got dirt in it, and then you pour it through a filter, and on the other side you get clean water because the dirt stayed in the filter. Well, this is the universe being poured through Jesus, and all of the sin and all of the things that sin has accomplished are being, are being filtered out by the cross of Jesus Christ so that what comes out on the other side is pure and holy and new. <coughs> Jesus said, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. He wasn't kidding around. He was saying, I am taking the universe in. It's all going to be summed up in me. This is God's plan to bring the entire universe and process it through my death and resurrection and let the universe die and be resurrected, including everything that's in it. Now, human beings have... This amazing reality that we have, some of us will be left in the judgment that happened. And some of us will pass through. Anyone that takes Christ's death and resurrection on themselves will pass through and be resurrected themselves. And we will exist in the new heavens and the new earth. And will be at home there. But anyone who rejects the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will not exist in the new universe. Cannot. But this is what Jesus is up to. This is what Jesus is doing. 
He's making all things new. It's all being summed up in him. So, wrong things are being made right. The lost are being found. The broken are being healed. And sin is being judged. And to end our class today, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 22. Okay, because this is Paul talking again about this reality. What? I'm not going to teach it. I'm just going to read it. Okay. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. You sit in this room today. You have been made one with Christ, and because you have, you are presented in this moment before the eyes of Heavenly Father as holy and blameless. God finds no fault in you in this moment. None. What he sees is you fused with Christ. And he loves everything that he sees. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you set out this plan to make all things one in your son, Jesus, including me. And that through his sacrifice and through his rulership, I'm holy and blameless before you. Now and forever. And that I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus in this moment. A conduit of heavenly authority and power being released in the earth right now. Lord, I pray that you would Continue to gift me more and more faith so that I can be more and more, a greater and more uh, complete conduit of your authority and power into this world's realm in this moment. And that I can be a treasure, a, a trophy of your grace for all eternity. Thank you that you made this proclamation over me before the foundations of the world, that I am the crown of beauty in your hand, the royal diadem in the hand of my God. And that all of the universe will bow before your glory and your power as my broken, 
life is put on display. I love you, Lord. All glory and honor and power be unto you, Jesus. You are worthy. We are empty, and you are full, and that's righteousness. We love you. Amen. Okay, now, where's that video? Cheers, <laughs> <laughs>